0: Fox has a Skip Bayless problem, the Premier League is growing in the U.S., and Lululemon is proving it can grow beyond the pandemic athleisure craze. It's Monday, June 5th. I'm senior writer Owen Poindexter, and this is Front Office Sports Today. For the interview, we have someone who has negotiated NFL contracts from both the team side and the player side, and we'll get an insider's look into that whole world. First, let's hit some news. Last week, Front Office Sports reported that replacing Shannon Sharp on FS1's Skip and Shannon Undisputed Morning Program is not going to be easy, because you have to be a very specific kind of person to get hired by Skip Bayless. A source told us, quote, nothing happens on that show without Skip. They chose Skip over everything else. You can't tweet about him, talk about him, anything, or they call you into the office. The source continued, Skip is not going to hire anybody who challenges him, and he's going to make the hire. So it's a crazy deal. And here's the kicker. You have to be willing to work with Skip. He has to approve of you, and you have to get up at 3.30 in the morning. So put that all together, Fox will have to find someone who Skip Bayless approves of and doesn't see as a threat, but who also provide lively debate and get up really early in the morning to do it. They'll find someone, but it will be really interesting to see who it is. The news is more chipper for NBC, which saw its second best ever season of broadcasting the Premier League, with a total audience delivery average of 527,000 viewers. They'll want that number to keep going up because this was the first year of a six-year $2.7 billion U.S. broadcasting rights deal that NBC owner Comcast signed with the Premier League, which is just one of many huge bets on soccer growing in the U.S. up to and beyond the World Cup here in 2026. And Lululemon banked $2 billion in revenue in its fiscal first quarter. Sales rose by 24% over the same period last year, in large part due to a 79% spike in revenue in China. The company's stock was up over 11% on Friday. Up next, I spoke to Andrew Brandt. He has worked as an agent in a few sports, namely football. He also worked for the Green Bay Packers, and he had a lot to say on the latest trends in NFL contracts and what the media tends to get wrong about them. I am joined now by Andrew Brandt, host of the Business of Sports podcast, Sports Illustrated columnist and author of the Sunday 7 newsletter. Welcome, Andrew. Good to be with you, Owen enjoyed it. So uh, let's just start by learning a bit about you. Um, you're, you're a writer and a podcaster now, but you've been kind of on, on all ends of the NFL business world. Uh, so let's just get a little bit about your background as an agent and with the Packers.
1: Yeah, I mean, the way to sum it up, I think best, Owen, is sort of three chapters of my career, uh, coming out of law school at Georgetown University after going to Stanford. So I went cross country. I'm from Washington, D.C., back to Georgetown for law school, and then got involved with an agency. It, it's no longer, but that time it was called ProServe. And I started out representing tennis players, but ultimately led to representing football, basketball, baseball players, and seemed to have a lot of football players when i switch sides a couple times now in my career so the agent part is kind of chapter one of my career the team side is chapter two first as general manager of something called the barcelona dragons you see my helmet behind me to the right of me is the uh, world league which started before nfl europe and then back to the green bay packers where i went to the packers for 10 years kind of doing everything but scouting and coaching. I was doing all the player contracts. I was managing the salary cap. I was interfacing with the league on any player issues that we'd had. Did that for a decade, living in central Wisconsin. And after moving my wife to rural Wisconsin for 10 years, she got to pick the next stop. And she is from Villanova, Pennsylvania. So we moved back to the Philadelphia area. And this third chapter of my career, I look at it as kind of the giving back part of my career, which is, obviously, I'm not curing cancer, I'm not going to develop a vaccine. But what I can do is bring insights and perspective that very few have to two sets of people. One is listeners, readers, viewers through media, and the other is students. So my day job, if you will, is running a program at Villanova University Law School, where I teach sports law and sports business and sports thought. And I mentor students and host events and symposia and all those things. And then on the media side, I was many years with ESPN. I write for Sports Illustrated, a business of football column every week. I do a newsletter every week with thoughts even beyond the NFL on sports and business and life. And I host my business of sports podcast. So now I'm in this sort of giving back what I know to the world uh, part of my career.
0: And I want to get to some stuff going on with the NFL right now. But uh, just to give us a little window into your time with the Packers, you know, sport the sports contracts world is kind of unique in that we know the details of everyone's contract. I can just Google up everything about, you know, uh, you know, let's say Lamar Jackson to take one example that we might get to in a bit. Um, but uh, are there are there parts of that that, you know, we might not really understand just from your kind of general media consumption of these contract negotiations?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, and this is what I wrote about in Sports Illustrated just this week, because it's kind of a slow time. And I thought I'd give kind of a professor type uh, column this week. I mean, I, I think the thing is that people get too wrapped up, in my opinion, in this three letter word in sports contracts called cap. Cap is something that people like me we're paid a lot of money, are paid a lot of money to manage, to figure out. But let's not get it confused, Owen. Cap is not money, right? Cap is not hard, cold, green cash. That's cash. And when I evaluate contracts and when I negotiate contracts, whether from the player side or the team side, the key thing is always what's going in and what's coming out. Like, what's the cash? How much is that player getting? How much is that team giving? Cap it's just accounting. It's just bookkeeping. It's just bookkeeping. You know, it's just, you have a hundred million dollar contract. You have to account for that hundred million, whether it's 20 million in year one and every year, whether it's 50 million in year one and lower or what the natural thing for teams is low as possible in year one and exploding later in the deal. But again, cap, I always told agents when I negotiated contracts, when they said to me, I can make it very cap friendly for you. I'm like, shut up. That's my job. You know, don't you worry about our cap. You worry about your player. I'll worry about our cap. And I sometimes I want to say that to the media, even when I was with the team, like, what are you reporting on our cap for? That That's our issue. We'll deal with it. It's not an issue. So I think that's one thing that just strikes me right away, what people kind of focus on the wrong things when they look at contracts in all sports, not just NFL. Of course, baseball, there is no cap, but basketball, hockey, soccer. It's like what's the cash? Forget about the cap. Cap is secondary.
0: Um so yeah, let's get into some some live situations here. Um or okay, I guess we can start with one that's that's I guess more settled. Uh, that's the Aaron Rodgers trade. Uh so what was your your take on your former team um uh you know, giving the the quarterback his wish and sending him over to the Jets?
1: Well, as you just heard me talk about my background, it was extremely eerie for me. It was deja vu to the max. Because fifteen years ago, we decided to move on from a Hall of Fame quarterback because we had this guy in the bullpen for three years named Aaron Rodgers, who we had taken in the first round, and we said goodbye to the face of the franchise that was there for 19 years, named Brett Favre. Fast forward, they just said goodbye. To the face of the franchise, Hall of Fame quarterback, been there 18 years, to welcome a new quarterback in the bullpen past three years, first round pick. It's deja vu. It's eerie, and it just shows you a pattern with the Packers, which is we understand the the importance of this player, but it's time. It's time. It's time to move on. And the way I saw it from Aaron's side, too, was it's time. You had done great things at the Packers, but there was a staleness to the relationship, I thought, on and off the field. So it's time. Now, when I saw this trade materialize or the the beginnings of this trade, it didn't happen until late April, but it started in February. I said, oh, my God, this is going to be a windfall for the Packers. And people were like, no, no, it's going to be lever. Actually, Jets have the leverage. I'm like, no, no, no. Jets have no
0: leverage. Mm -hmm, Because they kind of have to trade for him. Yeah.
1: But the leverage they had is that there were no other suitors. It was just the Jets, really, which is astounding in its own right that only one team was after Aaron Rodgers. But here's what the deal was. I, I always say, and I teach negotiations, I'm saying the key to any leverage is what party, what side to a negotiation is most comfortable with the status quo? The status quo for the Packers was they had their quarterback. His name was not Aaron Rodgers. <laughs> and Rodgers is in California, not in the building. And they don't owe him any money until September. The status quo for the Jets was they had told their fan base, we're getting Aaron Rodgers. They had flown out and kissed the ring. They had told people there's no plan B. They didn't chase Jimmy Garoppolo or anyone else. This is their guy. And I'm like, okay, here we go. So after all the minutiae about what's going to happen, it happened. And just to review, for people that don't remember, it's only been a month, but they got a swap of first-round picks. They got a high second-round pick. They got what should easily be a first-round pick next year, as long as Aaron doesn't get hurt for a long time. And they offloaded, the Packers offloaded $100 million. Think about that. $100 million now goes to the Jets for a player that was never, ever, ever going to play for them. (laughs) So it's a massive win for the Jets. I've been harping on that for weeks, and I just, again – telling you the same thing. It's like the Jets got bamboozled here and I don't know what else they could have done. But the last thing I'll say is that everyone knows the Packers don't have an owner. There were times I felt a, an inferiority complex, not having an owner. This is one of those times where uh, Packers are much better served not having an owner because an owner like the Jets owner, Woody Johnson will go into an office of someone and say, it's time, get it done. Like get it done because they have a big ego and they're getting older and like you don't have that at the Packers. I had incredible autonomy with negotiating contracts. I didn't report to anyone. So this is the difference. Now, again, overall, I thought it was always better not having an owner when I worked for the Packers, but. You
0: know, there were times I'm like, man, if
1: we had a billionaire at the table, we'd be treated a little better right now.
0: But yeah, not having to respond to, you know, a big personality who's used to getting what they want because they've got billions of dollars that, you know, there are advantages to that. Uh, Let's hop over to another superstar quarterback. Joe Burrow is negotiating his contract. And so, yeah, when you've got this, you know, a superstar who can kind of ask for whatever he wants, uh, but also might be willing to, you know, go the Tom Brady route of, I'll take a little less so that I have some people to throw to. Um, it's, h- how do you kind of get inside those deals? Well, first you look at marketplace.
1: So the market has been steadily rising on the one key number, which is total average value. Uh, Jalen Hurts a month ago goes to fifty one two fifty five over five equals fifty one a year. A week later, Lamar Jackson fifty two two sixty over five that's fifty two a year. So we certainly expect Joe Burrow to be at 53 or 54 a year, uh, which is an extraordinary number. But I look at, to me, that's all window dressing. The keys are, what's the guarantees? What's the early cash? Lamar Jackson had a very, very strong deal of $80 million in year one, 156 in years one through three. So can Joe Burrow beat that? I don't think he can beat 80 million first year. Maybe he can beat 156 over three. There's where I look. And then the other issue is, as we've talked about for a year in the business of football, the Deshaun Watson contract in March of 2022 set a new standard for any NFL contract. Five years fully secured. Usually NFL contracts, one or two years secured, then it's up to the player. Team can still cut them and not pay anything. Of course, we know NBA contracts, Major League Baseball contracts, fully guaranteed. We'd never really had one in the NFL. We got one with Watson. The key was who's gonna follow that up as precedent. No one has, no one has. I thought Lamar Jackson was our best hope on the player side. And now we get, we get to Joe Burrow, next, next uh, candidate. I mean, he made the, the Bengals will do what all these other teams have done, which is throw a ton of money at them so they don't have to guarantee the contract. Like it'll be two or three years maybe, of fully secured money for Burrow, and then years four, five, six, seven, whatever it is, are just going to be on the come. Now, I get it. No one expects a team to cut Lamar Jackson or Jalen Hurts or Joe Burrow, but the point of negotiations is who's got the risk? So that's how I judge these contracts.
0: Yeah. The, I remember, you know, had a lot of thoughts about that Watson contract, but one thing that was very notable, was the whole thing was guaranteed. Um, and yeah, it felt like that was the movement of players saying, you know what, like every other league guarantees their contracts, you know, we're putting our bodies on the line in a way that pretty much no other major league does. Let's start, you know, (laughs) let's, let's get the money here. Um, but yeah, I guess that hasn't actually been the trend, which is interesting. You get the bigger number if less is guaranteed, but do you actually get that number? Probably not.
1: And you see the way teams respond teams. What tells you what's important in a contract is the way teams fight things. Teams are not fighting the big numbers, as I just talked about. They're not fighting paying Jalen Hurts fifty million a year. They're not fighting paying Joe Burrow fifty-two million a year, whatever it comes out to. But they're fighting the guarantees because they don't want the baseball, basketball precedent where these players have leverage over them. Like you, you, like you can cut me, but you got to pay me. Like, you can cut the, the clip who – who was it this year? The <laughs> Lakers could cut Russell Westbrook, but they got to pay him. You know, you can cut these guys, but in football, you cut them and, like, bye. You know, we don't owe you. A and then it's funny, you know, when I was at the Packers, I'd have, like, a bank call me and say, I'm trying to get the loan repayment from one of your players that was there last year. I'm saying, okay, it says, it says right here, the contract is making $10 million this year. And I would say, no, he's not. <laughs> you know? And I'd have these loan officers like realize their whole job's like going to be taken away in a few minutes. I'm like, I'm sorry. These aren't real. These aren't real contracts. So those kind of things.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Fascinating. Uh, Before we go, uh, we learned that the Bay Area where I am based will get the Super Bowl in 2026. Uh, Any thoughts there?
1: These were our ornate presentations every year when I went to NFL owners meetings. They bring all the local celebrities from the city that wanted it. And they'd give you all kinds of free golf memberships for the week. And the owners had to vote on these things. What came up in recent years, as you know, is that a reward for some public funding of these stadiums would be a super bowl but san francisco already got it uh so what's interesting to me is they they've got their kind of quid pro quo super bowl which a few years ago and now they're going to get another so i think it's more like um feeling like this is going to be a rotation we're going to see a lot of new orleans miami arizona la maybe vegas but they don't want it to be only those and they meaning the nfl owners they want to rotate it to a bigger group it's always sort of a payoff to the san francisco 49 ers ownership where they'll need their support on other things but i have to admit Owen, i was a little surprised i just thought we're in this la vegas the two new stadiums uh and of course new orleans miami all those cities as well but now it seems like santa clara is in the mix
0: all right Great insights, Andrew Brandt, thanks so much for joining us on the show. My pleasure, Owen, good to be with you. Thanks so much for listening. Leave us a rating or review on Apple, Spotify, wherever you're listening, we always appreciate it. Or tell a friend, share an episode. We'll see you tomorrow.